Welcome to the Nay Jai Podcast. My name is Isaac Kamens. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. This week we finish our discussion on Pagua Grandmaster Chen Tinghua. We discuss a couple different versions of Chen Tinghua's tragic death. Then we look at some characteristics of Chen Tinghua's Bagua Zhang. Compare that to the Yin Fu style a little bit. Uh... <laughs> Then finally, we will uh, take a little look at some final thoughts from Sun Ludong's book. And this week on our Patreon, we will continue our discussion on Liu Hongji's Buddhist teacher, uh, Tan Shu Fa Shir. We talk about the Heart Sutra, which, which was the main text that Tan Shu would lecture on in his later life. Uh, it's essentially the idea of a form and formlessness being the same thing, or the form and the void being the same thing. So we take a little look at that. Hope you enjoyed the episode, and thanks for listening. Take care. Welcome to the Nejia Trend Podcast with Isaac and Jess. We've been discussing the life and times of the great Bagua master, Cheng Tinghua, founder of one of the two main styles known as Spectacles Chang because of his work in the eyeglasses shop. Um, and last time we talked about his life and some of his sayings, and I wanted to check a couple of other accounts of the, uh, the tragic death of Chang Tinghua. So looking at the Boulder Internal Arts Blogspot blog, there's an article translated uh, with some notes from the nephew of Chang Tinghua. And he tells a slightly different version of how Master Chang was killed. So check this out. He says, everyone knows that Cheng Tinghua was shot and killed during the conflict with the eight allied armies. However, the details aren't as well known. According to the nephew of Cheng Tinghua, Master Cheng liked to tie a small copper bell in the tip of his pigtail. When doing the turning palms, the pigtail would be pulled levelly behind him because he did the turning palms so fast. This thing was also used as a hidden weapon. So this, this metal in his pigtail would be used as a weapon. However, Cheng Tinghua kept this secret from outsiders. When he fought against the eight allied armies, he used a saber to quickly kill 10 of the foreign devils. When the foreign devils saw that their lives were threatened, they then took up their guns and shot at him. Cheng Tinghua waited for an opportunity to jump over a house to escape. Only when he was going over the house, the pigtail with the small copper bell attached got hung up in the rafters where the edges of the roof tiles met. He could not get over the roof and was immobilized long enough for the eight allied army soldiers to take aim. Unfortunately, he was killed. So that's a new version. I'd never heard that. And also, I, you know, with any details like that, I kind of have to wonder, like, how do you know that? Right. But at the same time, it's such a weird detail. Why would you even say it? If it doesn't make him like look better or anything. You know, it doesn't. It's true. Anyways, enough on that. So we'll turn to the Bagua Journal for the definitive account of the death of Cheng Tinghua from the January 1993 issue. Dan Miller writes, while a story about a martial artist defending his country against foreign devils warms the heart, the story I was told, which sounds more realistic, was slightly different. So when he went, uh, he found information that it turns out that a group of German soldiers were forcefully recruiting locals for a work detail near Beijing's Chengwen Gate, where Cheng's eyeglasses shop was located. Cheng was on the street at the time, and the Germans stopped him and tried to pull him in line with the others. Cheng resisted, but he may, and he may have beaten a few soldiers during the struggle, but when he pulled out a knife, the soldiers drew their guns. He tried to run and leap over a wall. As he was jumping over the wall, he was shot. 
and he died at the young age of 52. That's probably more realistic. <laughs> Sadly, that's probably the real Unfortunately, yeah. It's, that's... <clears throat> it says here that after Chang Tinghua was shot, his brother and his eldest son, Cheng Yulong, risked their lives to retrieve the body. Hmm. He was buried in the cemetery of his wife's family, but the grave is no longer there today. So that's the first mention of Cheng Yulong, the son of Cheng Tinghua, who carries on his art and continues teaching up until in the 1920s. And he is the one who's listed as Leo Hung Jay's, the master that he bowed to at the highest, highest level of the right. lineage. That's who he did the whole ceremony with. So it says here, uh, Cheng Tinghua's school was near his spectacle shop in Beijing, which was located near the Chengwen Gate in the southern part of the city, about one mile from the Temple of Heaven. The practice area they used was referred to as the Southern Field. He also went home and taught in his home village uh, in uh, Shen County, but that's a whole nother story. But again, there's this mention of the, of the gate of the Southern Gate School at the Chengwen Gate in the southern side of Beijing. Because Cheng Tinghua had so many students, and in turn, most of his students had many students, a listing of Cheng's whole lineage would look like the family tree from hell. The majority of Cheng's most well-known students taught in and around Beijing and Tianjin. After the death of Cheng Tinghua, his brother asked one of the el other elder students to look after Cheng Yulong, who at the time of Cheng Tinghua's death, Yulong was in his 20s. So the eldest son uh, who helped retrieve his body, he's in his early 20s. Um, and he stays behind in Beijing to continue to carry on the Bagua lineage. Cheng Tinghua was a man of average height and build with a strong background in Baoding fast wrestling. With this background, we can assume that Cheng was adept at moving quickly into close range and applying grabbing and throwing techniques prior to studying Bagua. The Dragon Gua of Dong Chuan's Bagua method made the most use of the techniques that Cheng would have already been good at, and thus it seems logical that Dong would train Cheng in this Bagua style. In Chinese mythology, the dragon has short, strong arms that are quick and appear suddenly out of the clouds. The dragon claw techniques are employed at close range. The arms twist, turn, coil, move, and change quickly while grabbing and pulling the opponent off balance to set up for a throw or strike. In Baguajong, the action of the arm, hands and arms are connected to the body, and thus when employing the dragon claw techniques, the practitioner's body will also turn, twist, and move quickly. These characteristics of Cheng's Bagua are what earned it the name Swimming Body. Yep. So that sounds like the Bagua that I'm most familiar with that we've done before where the action of it says how the body itself will turn, twist, and move quickly. Mm -hmm. There's a big emphasis on on using mm -hmm. the body twisting to power the arms in some way, perhaps. That pulling and coiling with the arms is a big part of it. You're always kind of grabbing the person, pulling them off balance a little bit before you smack them. Um, and years ago, Frank Allen wrote an article about sort of the difference between. Uh, Cheng style Bagua and Yin Fu style Bagua. And he used the example of two different snakes that the Yin Fu is like the viper. It's mm. quick, it's short, it's mm. snappy. And that the um, Cheng style is more like a constrictor, right? Mm. An anaconda, it wraps around you and crushes you. It doesn't mm. just, you know, so that, that mm -hmm. type of, and that, that was always for me the most, the easiest way to kind of envision it and explain it to people is that analogy because the totally 
the flavor is really different. I mean, a lot of the techniques actually, when you break them down are pretty similar, but the, true sort of the, the flavor of it is what makes it um, seemingly different. Like they both have piercing palm, but they <clears throat> tend different yin fu schools will do it quite differently than, than the average Chang school, I think. Yeah. So another, like what you were saying there, Cheng Tinghua's dragon claw palm was open and thus ideal for grabbing. And his swimming body techniques were used to move in close and throw the opponent. Whereas the Yin Fu palm was used more for sticking, deflecting, and striking. He says that Chang liked to apply hung or crossing force in throwing. So that's the side to side motion of Xing Yi Hung Chuan. That's a specialty of Chang style Bogward where you go that lateral force. So you're you're defending against something that's defending against something that's coming at you, and then all of a sudden that thing that's coming at you grabs you and pulls you into a blender, and you're just like, "What is happening to me?" Right, and I think a lot of martial arts will maybe like Shinji, where you chop forward and punch forward and drive forward. Bagua has that side to side action, especially that Chang Bagua that's that's perfect for like sweeps and sort of yanks and sideways action like that. Yeah, it's more than side to side. It's almost, it's spherical. Mm, spherical. Because so that's did... the next thing he says. While Chang liked to use circular movements to control the opponent and bring him off balance by grabbing and applying contracting power. Again, there's that constrictor idea, right? You're mm. wrapping or pulling somebody in and crushing them as you hit them. Which Absolutely. also just has to do with body type right i mean as i understand it yin fu was a smaller guy and more, thin especially you know, thin yin's his nickname right? right his nickname was thin yin. so if you're smaller it doesn't make a lot of sense to try to grab somebody and throw them where you know it makes a lot more sense to get out of the way and hit them and then move and hit them vicious again. strikes to um, to points that will hurt here's another example it says Cheng's movements tend to be long and round, whereas Yin's were short and quick. So those are tendencies. Obviously, every school has its own specifics, but it's it's true that there's there's a range of ways to do Bagua. And I think Dong Ai Chuan would just give each guy the, the one that fit him perfectly. Yep. Now on to footwork. It says Cheng Tinghua's Bagua footwork was in line with his grabbing and throwing methods. He mostly employed, employed Kobu and Baibu to hook and trap the opponent's feet and legs and was fond of stepping in deep between the opponent's legs. His footwork was designed to help him close with the opponent, whereas Yin Fu had a more evasive style. Chang liked to get close with the enemy and trap his legs. And in the Chang style I've seen, that's true, especially when you do, like, say, the 64 straight line forms of Gao style, you take deep steps and hook the opponent's foot is a primary stepping belief. And all Bagua styles, you punch someone in the face, you're also hooking their foot at the same time to kind of sneak in while they're, while they're looking up, you you're hooking their foot from below. Yeah. I mean, there's parallels to this in all sorts of things, right? I mean, you could take a Western boxing would be your sort of Mike Tyson versus uh, sugar Ray Leonard or something where you have guys who are big and get in close to just give you the big power shot or the quick guys that will just stick and move and hit you a bunch of times. Or you also have the idea of, uh, judo versus karate would be a kind of a similar mm. thing where mm -hmm. one is about getting in close so that you can grab the guy and either wrestle him or throw him and one is about 
hitting the guy and kicking the guy. So th- there's similar kind of parallels all over the place. Right. Because that but, just has to do with, are you doing close range, mm-hmm. range, range part of it. or long range, right? And At long range, you have to strike. You can't throw somebody from far away, right? Right. I mean, and long range when you're small means you're only going to, it's only going to work if you're moving because your long range is still not going to be a big person's medium range, mm. right? So that, that it's a relative thing in that it's not so much that, you know, if you're, if you're a foot shorter than me, it doesn't matter how long your stance is, I'm still going to have a better chance, you know, just in terms, unless you get an angle. And so mm. that's where this thing of, um, if you're working on a more strike based kind of fighting te- uh, techniques, angle is really important. If you're working on a throwing based thing, footwork is really important. And then if you're kind of mixing them up, both are important. But if you think about trying to throw somebody, if you can't get in close, it's almost impossible. Just like trying to, you know, mm. kick somebody if you're standing right up against them is pretty hard to do too. All right. You can't mm. kick you right. can't kick somebody you who's gonna use certain stuff. Right. So it's about what are you using and then what have you got, right? What's your body type? And then what are you trying to do with it? And at close range, you could whip your pigtail right into somebody's face. That would be crazy. Yeah, I mean, I've seen things with like the chain whip and uh, you know some of those kinds of things where you're using that coiling motion that Bagua has to make a projectile go in a certain direction and they wrap it around themselves in different spots as well yeah and uh, they do it in movies where the the ponytail shoots out and it sticks something (laughs) right yeah sounds movie (laughs) it it sounds a little far-fetched to me uh might have been one of those things where a guy did it once and it would right somebody picked that up there is this uh there can be a note of cruelty sometimes among bagua you know those little sharp little weapons they carry hidden in the in their jackets or some of those throws are awfully wicked and just ruthless. Basically ruthlessness is definitely a characteristic. Those little pen knives. Right. Like that. Yeah. Nasty. Next we'll look at another selection from the writings of Sun Ludong, who in his Agua book of 1916 records the teachings of Cheng Tinghua directly. Not many of them, but a few. So we wanted to look a little more at those. So it says here, following the principles of practice, you receive the divine energy of sky and ground, the illumination of sun and moon, the elegance of the five elements, and can become one with the universe. This training is at the highest level of spiritual transformation. The effects of it will be thus. Your spirit will be cleansed. Your essence will be sturdied. Your appearance will be pure, smooth, and graceful. Your body will move with ease. Your mind will be quick-witted, and your techniques will be magical. Its theory is as deep as an abyss, deep beyond measuring. Its energy is as vast as the sky, vast beyond measure. Practicing in this way, this boxing art is a subtle and profound means of spiritual transformation. Once again, spiritual transformation keeps coming up with these guys. Yeah, that that idea that it's not just a martial art. It's also a vehicle of self-cultivation. 
all the way to the level of becoming one with the universe. This isn't just stress release, you know. This is like right. Big well, time. This is again. It goes back to this Taoist idea that your body is the vehicle that you have while you're in it to kind of level up your spiritual game for the next whatever happens next next and, lifetime yeah and and uh well to call it a lifetime is maybe a stretch but who knows what it's going to be but whatever right. happens next the the preparation for it is to try to unify your uh spiritual being with your body so that mm. it kind of moves on as one piece after your body is gone and another piece of that he keeps coming back to is is connecting with the sky ground sun like the physical world around you somehow has to also along with your own spirit that also somehow has well, to that's unify. the the those are the forces that you use mm. to unify yourself mm. so the process of doing the let's just call it Taoist meditation because that's what he's referring to with the heaven and earth and moon and star stuff is that's referencing Taoist Taoist meditation stuff. And basically that's saying that Bagua is also a container for that. It has the same structural kind of thing you can do to get from the physical plane to the, the Tao that doing meditation does. So, that's where there are, if you will, Iching Bagua schools, and there are not so Iching Bagua schools. And he's clearly saying this is an Iching Bagua school. That <laughs> and he ain't is, hiding it. Yeah, he's not hiding it. And he's saying this is this is a if you want to do Taoist practices as much as anything else is this is a vehicle for it. Right now, and that's a controversial topic in Bagua, but. <laughs> But here it is right from the source. So I mean, yeah, it's, it's, hard to ar- it's hard to argue whether or not it's a you can argue whether or not that's useful. Right. That, or any that, particular school may or may not follow this approach. But hey. Right. But if you're a Chenting Hua school and you're not at least acknowledging that this is a possible approach, you're kind of going against the founder, which is I mean, to me, it's a little bit silly, but right. Chinese but what, martial arts usually don't do that. <laughs> right. But what you can you can argue is, is that in the present day, something that somebody needs to also take on if they're trying to learn Bagua? And I would mm. say that's optional, but right. it, it is clearly there as a um, part of the system that if you want to do Yijing practices and Nadan practices, this is a place they're to there. Uh, I love how he mentions that uh, your mind will be quick-witted. That's a good one. Your body moves with ease, but also your appearance will be pure, smooth, and graceful. <laughs> that's yeah. a, doesn't always as pure as one would like, but, you know. I think he's referring to your movements. Oh, okay, not your yeah. looks. Okay. No, no, I don't think he's talking about your... your look at Dong Ai Chuan. I don't know. He's not exactly the prettiest no, looking I, guy. No, yeah, I wouldn't say any of these guys were known for their... Uh, outward appearance but <laughs> i think that's more a, a referring to the the nature of your movements mm. and the quality of your uh let just call it your gracefulness right mm. that, that there is a certain thing about yeah Agua does have a lot of gracefulness i'd say even some of these the big, these big guys like 
uh, Zhang Zhengfeng, you know, when you'd see them move, mm. like they're still, it's like, guys, huge, but they're still this fluid Poise to it, balance yeah. to it. Yeah, that's just, I think, part of it. And yeah, it does. I mean, Bagua is one of the prettier martial arts in the right hands. I think everybody that sees it, um, you know, will at least admit that it looks cool. They, I don't it know, looks they, pretty damn good. It's, it's hard to say whether or not. Right. Nobody usually says that about Shiki. <laughs> right. All right. And so one last paragraph I wanted to pull out. All right. All right. Let's hear this one. If you do not understand how to choose the right environment or work with the weather, you will only be training in terms of physical strength. And no matter how skilled and adaptable you may become after a long time, it will only be a physical achievement. With no awareness of weather or environment, your mind will be unable to grasp the beauty of nature. All of the beautiful things in nature are influenced by the sky and ground, nurtured by the sun and moon, and are thus able to be perfected. This is in all ways true for boxing arts as well. So again, mentioning that environment and weather. He keeps saying weather over and over. Yeah, I think weather is just a uh, way of saying things are, you know, the... the changes in the world around you right it could be a translation of the word chi as opposed to energy chi can also mean clouds what's the chi of the weather today right yeah i would i would sort of i'm trying to think of how we would say that um it's the mood right it's the 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 vibe yeah you're so if you wake up and it's sunny out and you're feeling good and you're like, all right, I'm going to do some Bagua. That's a real different vibe than it's raining <laughs> and it's dark. And you're sort of like, all right, I'm going to go train. And I think, do it. But, but what he's, again, it's this, uh, I said this, I think, in the last episode, but it's worth repeating that, that um, it's about doing something physically that involves opposites, right? This yin, mm. and, this yin and yang, heaven and earth sun moon these are all opposites Mm. so you're trying to do things with your body that mimic the or that kind of train you to do opposites Mm. again and again opposites piled up on each other until they all kind of merge somehow it feels like if you go back and forth enough somehow it'll connect right so stepping from left foot to right foot is an opposite uh turning around is an opposite day and night are opposites right so if you're practicing in the evening versus during the morning uh you know so taking these things into account i think is um useful but i i, I don't know if well, and he it. says it's mandatory he's like it, otherwise you're just physical strength there's somehow you're the outside world has to con- you can't just sit and basically meditate within yourself the outside world has to influence that unification it can't just be your mind and body you've got to add the world around you i think it's about opening up to the the forces around you not so Mm. much that that just to observe the weather right it's about being being relaxed and being comfortable with whatever is around you and and maybe it relates to when you start internal training you sign to go within yourself like you do standing dissolving like you're, you're completely inside you're completely ignoring everything around you and maybe he's speaking to that saying you could be doing inner gung, but you still have to incorporate the way the stars and the sun and the world the energies of the world around you have to also be fully formed that sound that's even harder than 
getting your own internal world together, I'd say maybe. I don't know. Both are challenging. <laughs> I would I would say the the internal stuff is uh, far more challenging because you're dealing with things that are much more about you versus mm. about what's in the out, outside. Um, so it may not be it it may not be as quicker, but it might be harder. Right. The idea that going out and learning how to feel things outside of you is um, a, a sensitivity thing. It's the other half of the coin. The inner world is one thing. The outer world, like say yeah. you want to feel the level of the ocean of that day or whatever. Right. I, mean, I can't I, feel any of that I, stuff. No. And I, I mean, there are, there, I think the more important thing is to be able to, uh, again, it's about this interchange between the inner world and the outer world, mm, right? Yeah, so yeah. so that when forth. this when when you're training that you're not just sort of locked inside your own little mini world of your body that you're actually interacting with the elements around you. But I, you know, it doesn't mean you have to go hang out with trees or do, mm. but that's useful. That might but, help. Yeah. But but it's it's about when you practice that you kind of the way we would say it is you dissolve it right and then mm. you 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 could you be know. on a rooftop in hong kong just as much as in a virgin forest in the redwoods yeah and there's a certain way in which you can let your mind and your energy allow what's around you to be part of what you're doing or you can try to separate yourself from it and this bagua is a, a method of interacting with the outside world so where sitting meditation is a mm. is a practice that does not involve mm. the outside world bagua jang is a practice that involves the outside world and so you have to be aware of it even on the level of okay let's just take all this spiritual stuff out of it um if it's raining the ground's going to be slippery mm. if it's not raining the ground's not going to be slippery so your walking is going to be a little bit different when you're uh on slick concrete like mm, I, maybe i don't want to go quite as fast right that's mm -hmm. a a consideration you have to make that has nothing to do with any of these Taoist things but it is going to give you some awareness of your feet because you're um you know you're paying attention to whether or not you're gonna bust your ass right you can slip on your ass on the mud real quick yeah Likewise, that that sense of uh, on a nice sunny day when you're walking and it's warm and you're walking on some sand or nice, you know, nice dirt and it's soft and you can feel it on your feet that that gives you a nice awareness of your mm. of your feet, too. So it goes both ways. Yeah. Again and again, you keep going to the inner world and the outer world and weaving them together. And that's pretty darn cool. I, I feel like maybe a lot of martial arts I've studied don't include this type of stuff. And I, I find it useful and helpful and inspiring in my practice for sure. The tendency in most things is to either go out or go in. Right. And, and that if you're doing something physical, generally the, this is the give it 110% mm. kind of the attitude, right. That it's all about doing the physical action and, and putting your intent into that physical action. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
when you do something like meditation, it's right. all Seated about meditation's the opposite with, of that. withdrawing your, the, the, the phrase that you use sometimes is you withdraw your senses, right? All of those things that you use to feel your body and you feel your skin and you hear and you see and you smell, all of that goes inside. So you can start to feel and taste and smell your insides. Mm. Um, where when you're doing something like Bagua, you want all of those senses to go out and to fill the space around you and to uh, inform what you're feeling. So, you know, this gets kind of woo woo, but I mean, on a, on a practical level, it's a, when you start getting into martial arts, when you first do it and you put your hand on somebody, all you really feel is your contact and their contact. And you just kind of move things. After you practice for a while and your sensitivity gets better, you start to be able to differentiate between layers of skin, bone, muscle, tissue, right? And you can actually manipulate somebody's body the same way a massage therapist would manipulate somebody's body. But you're doing it not to make the joint feel better or the muscle feel better, but to rip the sucker out or dislocate mm. something. Sure. So it's that it's that same level of sensitivity that a, a really good you know osteopath or a really good uh, chiropractor or somebody would have. Mm. But but it's you know just flipped on its head. It's it's uh, reverse medicine was mm -hmm. the phrase phrase As the used phrase to goes. use right. <laughs> Good talk, bro. Is that it? All right. We're good. Okay. Until next time. Hey, folks. Uh, thanks for listening. Just a little bit more about the Patreon episode this week. So we have been translating Baiwa's book uh, on Tai Chi Chuen, and one of the chapters in it is on the Heart Sutra. So some of the information that we use in our Tanshu episode this week comes from our translation of Baiwa's book, which at some point we will make public, but not yet. Uh, so again, just check that out. Take a look at our Patreon for some images to go along with the episodes. Like and subscribe. Leave us a review on iTunes. And most importantly, take care of yourself. Thanks for listening.